the last of our series, obviously, as it's the last of the service of the year, the Gospel's Advent. And this series title literally means the coming of the good news. So Advent, oh man, guys, come on, just kidding. The Advent means the coming of, and the Gospel is the good news. The good news, of course, that Jesus has come to save us, that we have a Savior who's come into the world. And so, what better time to celebrate the gospel than Christmas? So, that's the title, The Gospel's Advent. And today's message is going to be focused specifically on Jesus as our Savior. So, we're titling the sermon, Jesus Savior. Keep it really easy for us all. Before we dive into it, I want to just pray, give this time over to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that you, and in this season, Father, we can be reminded that you came, that you've come into the world to save us, to rescue us, and, so, and to redeem us. And I pray, Father, that this, the concept of this, the excitement of this would be renewed in all of our hearts today. As you've renewed it in my own heart this week, I pray that this would be something that we all leave today with a better understanding and a better excitement about who you are and what this is really all about today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, being that it's also the third Advent, I'm going to uh, light the three candles here behind me. It's kind of becoming a thing, apparently. It's one. Wait, wait. Oh. One. Uh, come on. That's all you guys got? No. You were too soon. <laughs> this, this one is not going to light. There we go. Yay. Now it's official. Now it's official. When they did it this morning, it didn't count. It's the third advent. So, it's Christmas time. It's that season. We're really close now. It's getting exciting, I hope, for some of you, maybe. Thinking about maybe what somebody might have got you, maybe not. I don't know. It's an exciting time, and as we've said every week, we can get bogged down, we can get into the kind of just chaos of this season and forget what it's really about. So we want to look at that today. What is it really about? What are we really celebrating in this season? Well, one, the birth of Jesus, right? That's, you know, you see the nativity scenes all over. Everybody seems to have some version of one in their house. And we're looking at, we're celebrating, we're remembering the birth of Jesus. But as cute as little babies are, and I have, my son is in the back right now and only like not even two months old yet. And, uh, you know, they're amazing. They're super it's something to celebrate the birth of a baby in any way in any realm is something to get excited about and my son might be just one of the cuter ones i'm not biased i promise babies are are certainly something to celebrate and jesus of course was no ordinary baby he's jesus so really something to get excited about can you imagine little baby jesus i mean how amazing it, it was to hold Jesus for Mary, who knew who he really was. But the question still remains, 
Is this, really what, is this really what we're celebrating? The birth of baby Jesus. It's definitely a part of it, but we don't want to get stuck thinking that's the focus. We don't want to get stuck thinking that that's the main point. It's not just about the birth of a baby. There's something deeper and something more profound that we're truly celebrating Jesus is fully God, and he came and became fully man, which is what we looked at last week, really emphasizing his humanity, while remaining fully God in order to save us, in order to save you and me, even though, if you didn't know, we didn't deserve it. We don't deserve anything that Christ would have to give to us. He did this out of his great love for us. He loves us so much that he came. And that's what we're celebrating. This is what Christmas is really about and why we celebrate Christmas, that our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ has come. He came. That's what we're really celebrating. So that's it. That's pretty much the message. I can wrap it up now. But I do have a few other notes. We can go ahead and look at the Bible a little bit. We want to look at first the actual birth itself. Uh, we'll look at Luke's account in Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read verse 4 through 7. This is the account of Jesus' birth. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And if that's... Different than... Oh, look at that. They even put the ESV up there. It's awesome. Normally we do the NIV, but I like the ESV version better for this. So here we have the actual birth of Jesus. And the loads of things that could be unpacked in here we won't have time to get to because we have kind of a focus we want to stick to in looking at Jesus as our Savior. So here, though, is the birth. Mary was with child and... She gave birth to her firstborn son, who was Jesus. Nothing really spectacular in itself from an outside perspective. Pregnant woman has a baby. Now, it was a very natural, normal birth. Very natural in some respects. It was outside in a barn. A little bit too natural, maybe. And so, from the outside perspective, it can appear as nothing in particular, And it's easy to miss how God's perfect plan is set in motion, that was set in motion since the beginning of time, to save us is here finally unfolding or unwrapping like a Christmas present. See what I did there? All right. Just trying to keep you guys awake. I know you're normally, this is a little bit early to be preaching. So in verse 6, he's we see that it says, the time came. The time came for her to have the baby. 
Now, this is an important phrase because it's not just saying that she started having contractions and it was, all right, it's time, Joseph, it's time. The baby's here, the baby's coming. It's more than that. It's more than just that it was time for the baby to be born. This moment in time and this place was set way before, way before Mary, way before Joseph. This, go, this was always God's plan. This was always the moment that Jesus was planned to be born. This exact place, this exact time. And if we, there's a lot of prophecy we could look at, but I want to look at Micah 5 verse 2. And this is also quoted in Matthew. And here we see how the plan was, this is just falling into what God's plan was. The timing isn't an accident. So Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. I love this verse. It's a lot of depth in this verse. And what's happening is, he's, Micah, is, this is a prophecy about where Jesus would be born. And what's interesting is that we see that it's no accident that Mary and Joseph are where they are. This was always the plan. There was, you know, maybe there was a, a consensus, so they kind of had to go back to Bethlehem. That's, that's the, the way it happened, but it isn't the reason it happened. It happened because this was God's intention. He is intentional in the way that he saves us and that Jesus would be born in this place we see here is prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before it took place. But what's really interesting is the way that this, this verse paints the picture is that this plan and this Savior that is to come, this ruler that's to come, is from ancient times, from of old. This is not, this goes back way before even it was prophesied here. Jesus was not born then, and then God kind of called him into this or tried to figure out a plan. Okay, here's, here's where he's born, and how do I now move him into being the Savior? It was intentional because Jesus is God from ancient times, from of old. He was not late to coming to humanity. He wasn't early. He arrived precisely when he meant to. And in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, Isaiah is also talking about Jesus, the Messiah that was to come. And he shows that he would be a descendant of David. And we see in the text that we looked at that Joseph was of the lineage of David. We see that everything here is falling into place. And as I mentioned, there's a lot more we could unpack here. We're not even getting into the virgin birth, that Mary was a virgin, and that uh, this was also foretold of, also in Isaiah. And that uh, there's, (laughs) yeah, even down to the manger, there's just vivid imagery of what how God was intentional in every single aspect of 
Jesus coming into the world. But what I really want to point out, just to, again, stay in our focus today, is that even in the ordinary parts of this story of Jesus' birth, we can quickly see just a richness and a depth developing in every single detail. That it's no random series of events that we're just hearing about. It was planned. This was the planned rescue mission set up from the start for our salvation. And the events themselves are not the only ones that are proclaiming this great truth. If we continue on in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign, to you, sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels got it. They knew what was really going on. They saw the big picture. This perfect plan set into motion. And they're excited about it. They're excited to see this beginning. The anticipation has been building for some time now, I imagine. I imagine they had some idea. We don't know the details of how much they would have known. I don't need to get into God's conversations with angels today. But I want to focus on that they knew who Jesus was. They knew who this baby was. They knew that he was the Savior. They knew that he was the Lord. They knew he was the Christ. And I imagine that they did have some knowledge, some foreknowledge for who knows, hundreds of years, thousands of years beforehand of God's plan, his perfect plan for salvation that would come at this exact moment, that it would begin at this exact place. And there are a few terms in this passage I think worth dissecting and when it talks about I bring you good news of great joy again what is good news well this is where we get the word gospel literally meaning good news literally meaning the news of that Jesus our savior has come and when we're dealing with this truth of the gospel we're dealing with the key truth of our salvation this is important stuff and something that we need to be reminded of. I need to be reminded of all the time of the importance of the gospel, of the good news that Jesus is my Savior. It's so easy for us to get bogged down in life and bogged down with everything that's going on. And yes, we are Christian and you know we go to church or we have our relationship with Him and we know we know about the good news and that Jesus Jesus loves me, Jesus saved me. But man, this is, this is it. This is the most important truth 
for us to grasp. And when we truly are holding on to this and we're truly putting this inside of us and it's internalized within us, it does transform the way we live out our lives. It transforms the way we understand our relationship with Jesus. It, under, it changes the way that we understand our relationships with one another. It's so important for us to cling to the good news And this is what they're declaring, the good news, great joy that Jesus had come. Now, who is the good news for? They say, for all the people, for all the people. That means you and me. This good news, the gospel is for us today. And all those who believe on him as Lord receive this truth but I also believe that there's something else that they're maybe making a call back to as the Bible loves to connect itself, especially when it comes to Jesus. Everything in the Bible always kind of points back to him. And there's a a promise that was made all the way back in Genesis 17. The first covenant that God made with man, he made with Abraham, and he says, I will... He promised him, I will make you the father of many nations. Now from Abraham, the nation of Israel was born. So what did he mean by father of many nations? Well, this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ through us today. We are the fruit of that many nations. This is where we see the old covenant that God made with Abraham fulfilled and being united with the new covenant that we have today with God. We have a covenant with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Just as Abraham had a covenant with God through the blood of a sacrifice of an animal, we today have a covenant with Jesus, our Savior, through His blood on the cross. And so we're seeing this connection that it the the point where it wasn't just God leading the Israelites, but it's the expansion into all nations, that salvation is for everybody who would believe. And in our text here in Luke, there are also three names given by the angels. And they're more than just names alone, but identities of who Jesus is. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's a Savior who is Christ the Lord. First one I want to look at, being that our focus is Savior, we're going to move that to the, save it for the end. First one I'll look at is Christ, really quickly. Christ literally is the Greek word for Messiah, which is what the, which was the, just the term for the chosen one, the anointed one. This king that we saw back in Micah was, that we looked at that was promised. He's referred to as many, many different names in the Old Testament. But it was known that he, he was called the Messiah, the Christ, the one, the, the appointed one, the promised one, the one that would come and redeem Israel, save Israel. And ultimately, everybody. All the way back again seeing this connection with Abraham, the one promised. 
And we see signs of Jesus, the promise of Jesus, all the way back into Genesis. As soon as they left the garden, it was already promised that one would come. Jesus as Christ demonstrates God's big picture again of salvation. That there, there were no accidents, but every part was intentional. This is why we can look and see this promise of Christ and see, see his life as fulfillments of these promises. Every part was intentional. Jesus is the one sent by God, who is God, who is the Christ. Number two, Jesus is Lord. Now this was not fully understood by the shepherds who were hearing this proclaimed. And later, as we looked at in, the, in this series, uh, in our first week especially, that Jesus' own disciples really struggled with this truth to see Jesus as Lord until he rose again. And even then, Thomas doubted until he saw Jesus stand before him. And today, we definitely still see great struggles with this important truth that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is God, Lord, and that this baby that was born was God in the flesh. We won't go into a whole lot since we focused on that last week. But in John 1, uh, John 1, 1 through 2, I think just paints it really well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word here is referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So Jesus was with God. And the Word was God, so He is God. He was with God in the beginning. Before time began, Jesus was. So Jesus is God in the flesh. He was born on Christmas, December 25th. Probably not. Jesus was born on Christmas, but He always existed. He always existed. He is Lord And he has always been. He is the I am. He is I am. He always was. He always is. And he always will be. Number three, where we'll focus our attention on as we head towards the end. Jesus, Savior. And this is where it gets personal. This is where it comes into relation with us. This is what the point was. This is why God, who is fully God, came into the flesh and became a man, that he would be our Savior. But what is a Savior? Well, it's somebody who saves. It's somebody who rescues from death, from danger. And Jesus is the Savior. I think John says it best and most clearly in 1 John 4, 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. John's saying, I, listen, I've, I've seen Him. I walked with Him. I know I'm not... These are, these are eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. Eyewitnesses to His ministry. This is... 
not uh, just somebody writing a, about a story or writing about something they heard from somebody who heard something from somebody who heard something. This is John talking. He's saying, listen, I've seen it. Take my word for it. This is the one. This is the Christ. He is the Lord and he is the Savior sent to save us. And if he is, if we can move, if we can move into that, okay, Jesus is the Savior. Who did he come to save? Well, as we saw earlier, all people, but let's be more specific. 1 Timothy 1.15, uh, this is Paul talking or writing. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And if we look at, tie that in with Romans 3, we know that all have sinned and need a Savior. And that Savior is found only in Jesus. I love the way Paul kind of paints the picture. Uh, I think he, he really emphasizes that this is trustworthy. One, by saying it's a trustworthy, this is something, please believe me, listen to what I have to say. But then he also says, I'm the worst of the sinners. I used to murder Christians for a living. I'm the worst of them all. I know what I'm talking about. He came to save the worst of us. And if he can save the worst of us, then there is nobody he can't save. There is nobody who can say, I am not, I'm not worthy. I've messed up too much. I've gone too far. You don't know the sins that I've committed. And Paul's saying, hey man, you're, you, don't have a, you don't have a good leg to stand on if you are going to go that route because I am the worst and Christ saved me. That's why he came, to save sinners. And this applies to everybody. We're all sinners and what's most important is to grasp that we cannot save ourselves no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work, we can never be good enough. We can never be righteous. We can never save ourselves. We need to be rescued. We need a Savior. What are we saved from? We're saved. Awesome. What are we saved from? We're saved from death. We're saved from hell. where there is an eternity separated from God. And I think to anon, somebody who maybe looks at Christianity, looks at the whole Bible thing and says, whatever, separated from God. But what does the Bible tell us? That all good things come from the Lord. We can enjoy good things in this world and not have anything to do with God. He allows that. He gives us freedom. But in hell, there's complete separation from God, which means there's no love, there's no peace, there's no grace, there's no beauty that we see in creation itself and a sunrise and snow falling. There's no beauty, there's no joy, there's no happiness, there's no satisfaction. There's only, and Jesus uses the words when talking about hell, who, by the way, talks about hell more than any other person in the Bible. 
Jesus talks about hell the most and says that it's a place of thirst. It's just a place of want and never being satisfied. It's a place devoid of all that is good because it is separated from God. That is what we're saved from. We always focus on what we're saved into, which is obviously far better to talk about. We're adopted into God's family. We're, we're able to experience his joy, experience his love in, in a deep way and in a relationship with him, that we're connected to God the Father through Christ. And there's so much more we could get into, but we're also saved from something. And that's important to remember. And how are we saved from this? How are we saved from death, from hell? Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I'm going to read 15 again. I just feel like we need to. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We're the children. When we look at God, when we look at Jesus as our Savior, when we believe on Him, we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are saved, born again. And in this moment, we are we become his children. And because we're human, flesh and blood, yeah, still, flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood. God, almighty God, creator of everything. Let's just think about the universe for a moment or the depths of the ocean or something profoundly like huge in our minds and think that creator became like us, became put on human flesh in a body in order that he might die to defeat death through his own death because he lived a perfect, sinless life. And so through his death, death itself is defeated. This means, again, it was always the intention for Jesus to come and to die for our sins. So we can look at the just excellent and perfect plan and purpose of Jesus' birth, but also remembering that it was always the plan for him to come and die on a cross. It wasn't plan B. It wasn't like, well, I'll try to do it a, you know, without dying on a cross, and then if that doesn't work, see what happens. There was no plan B. There was only plan A. And it was exactly what Jesus did, exactly the way he lived his life from the moment he was born and the way he was born and the place he was born to his death on the cross and ultimately to his resurrection. He came to destroy the power of death and the power of the devil on the earth and the power that the devil holds over us. In John 8, Jesus is talking to the, the um, religious leaders and he calls them out and, and says that they're, they're acting out like their father, the devil. 
And it sounds like a really harsh thing to say to somebody, but it isn't just them. Without Christ, we're all born into this world and born into slavery under the devil's rule. Slaves to fears. I think we can just sum it all up in in fears and sins. The sins of our flesh and the desires of our flesh and the things that draw us away from God because they just look so shiny and much better than what God seems to have to offer to us. It's much more real. It's much more physical. Or we're crushed. We're weighted by fear, which can be anything from the fear of being overwhelmed in our lives and the busyness of our lives or fear of death, fear of failure, fear of loss, fear of loneliness, So many things that crush us are weighted and just rooted in fear. Christ has come to set us free from this. All of this is built on lies that the devil feeds us about ourselves, about who we are, about who we're meant to be. All placing fears in our hearts. He is the father of lies. He's the perverter of truth. He has nothing true to say even though he can really make his lies sound so close to the truth that we believe it. We've been set free from this. Because of Christmas, the coming Savior has come and set us free. Because he humbled himself that God became flesh in order that he may die and take on the punishment of sin which is death, so that we might be free. And not just the punishment of, 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 of the sin, which is death, but also the weight that comes with this. The noose that was wrapped around us of fear. We're free from all of this in Christ. The devil loves to, for us to forget that as Christians today. To forget that to think that salvation is just a ticket into heaven. Okay, check, I believe, enough, I've made it. And forget that we're free from, from fear. We're free from the weight of, of shame and the destructive power of the lies of the devil. And I really hope for all of us that the places that we're still struggling with these things, we're able to break free from them today. Break free from those lies of the devil about who you are about who you're meant to be you are free in Christ Philippians 2 6 through 8 so who is Jesus so Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage although he well could have could have stepped off the cross at any time he could have done He still retained his divinity as God. But he didn't use it as something to his own advantage. Verse 7, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then if we read on from that, we see that God then lifted him up. 
and that his name is above all names. That through the name of Jesus Christ, there is power over all the lies, all of the weight of sin. This is the joy that the angels are proclaiming to the shepherds and singing in the sky, filling the sky. This is why we say Merry Christmas, why we're excited about this time. Not because of just the birth of a baby, even baby Jesus, but because the Lord, our Savior, Christ the King, has come in the flesh to save us. And today we celebrate and we remember that we have been set free through God's perfect plan that was always His plan for our salvation through the work done on the cross. Christmas is really a preparation for what would ultimately take place on Good Friday. And on that cross, nailed with Christ is everything that we have to, that we face with lies, our fears, our doubts, our sins, was nailed with Christ to the cross, crucified with him, dead three days. Jesus rose, but he didn't bring our stuff with him. We're free from those things. In the name of Jesus, we have freedom from the weight of those things in our lives. You can have freedom today from your fears, from your doubts, from your shame of your past. Remember Paul murdering Christians for a living said nobody knows more than me that Christ can save anybody fully. Not just as a ticket into heaven, but true redemption. Christmas is a remembrance of the day of Jesus' birth, but it's a celebration of what was only the beginning of God's plan of salvation. I want to invite the band to come back up. In honor of this, the completed work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection, we want to take communion together today. And then we'll end our service after we take communion and really solemnly remember the work, the blood that was spilled, the body that was beaten for our salvation. We're going to worship him together. We want to celebrate. We want to end the year in the service worshiping him. But before we do, we want to take communion. And we believe communion is a declaration of our faith, of our belief in the work of the cross, that what Christ did, the blood that was spilled, is enough to cover our sins today. And so there are two things that I always like to emphasize when it comes to communion, when we take communion together Number one is that communion is for those that call Jesus their Lord. It's for Christians. But I want to be very clear that it's not just for those that may have been, you know, that are, have the really big Bibles and have been Christians for years. And if you're to, here today and you say, well, I'm, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm wrapping, trying to wrap my brain around what Christianity is and I'm not exactly sure if I believe it yet. 
uh, I really want to encourage you today to come up and, and take communion with us. And I would hope that maybe this would be something that God kind of uses as a way to speak to you, to help you understand the truth about his, our salvation through him and through his broken body and blood that was spilled today. So if that's you today, you're very, very welcome to join with us in communion today. And the other thing is that we believe in t- having a right heart when we come to take communion together. When we're taking communion, the word communion, it's literally we're, we're communing, we're uniting with Christ in what he did on the cross. We're uniting with him, and also we're uniting with one another. And so we want to come to that place with a right heart. And so we want to, right now, we're going to take a few minutes, just maybe two, three minutes, and I want to encourage you or invite you to just kind of bow your head, to take a minute and maybe repent of any sins that you're struggling with right now, or maybe that you committed this day, committed this week. I know that I've sinned this week. <laughs> we can always come to him and repent and say, God, I'm, I'm struggling with this sin again. I, I need your forgiveness. And what repentance is, is it's not making us righteous. It's not an act that makes us uh, better or look better in the, in the eyes of God. That's already complete We're completely forgiven of all of our sins. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are forgiven today. You are forgiven. I just really want to emphasize that. You're forgiven for your sins. What we do with repentance, the point is for us to make a declaration of our sin and our need for Him. It's a declaration of our desperate need for and our daily reliance on a Savior who is Jesus Christ. And so right now, I just want to invite you to take a few minutes and surrender your your sins. And also, if you have maybe struggles that you want to bring to him right now, to just lay those at his feet. And then I'll invite you guys to come up to the front and we'll take communion together in a minute.
All right. So for those of you who would like to take communion today, I want to invite you. You can come up here to the front, and we're just going to make a giant kind of circle thing, oval, and uh, take communion together. We want to be united to one another, so I think it's cool to just be close. And uh, the elements are over here, and so you can kind of go that to that side of the room and then come down to the front. And so, yeah, I invite you guys to...